and good morning once again. Scripture reading today will be out of the book of Romans, chapter 8. Romans, chapter 8. While you turn there, just a few quick announcements for the youth. We do have youth this evening. I'm so excited because I have missed it for who knows how long. It feels like two months uh, from either snow or family illness or whatever. I've been out, so I'm really excited to be there tonight. Uh, we have our missions night tonight. We are putting together care packages for Hope's Haven so that they can use them to auction them off. And I think we've sent out information for all that. So it's very exciting for me. And I'm super wound up for it, so ought to be entertaining at least to come watch Steve bounce off the walls. So hopefully you guys can make it there. I would love to see you. A few more quick announcements. We do have Camp Orchard Hill coming up uh, February 6th and 20th. Those are the Sundays after the Camp Orchard Hill weeks. We won't have youth group those nights. So mark them down, especially for like the, the junior high folk. Mark down the 20th because the senior high will be at camp. And for the senior high folk, mark down the 6th because the junior high will be at camp. And you won't at those times, so you need to know there's no youth group those nights. But in between there, which is the 13th, we're having a Super Bowl party here. So in between those times when we don't have youth, we will have youth, and it'll be a great time uh, to celebrate and kind of just fellowship with one another. So February 13th, Super Bowl party. The other Sundays on either side, no youth. Okay, and if you're going to camp, make sure you're here on that Friday before. So <laughs> all that to say, I'm excited for tonight. Anyhow, we are in Romans chapter 8. We're going to be reading the first 11 verses. Romans 8, 1 through 11. So now there is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. And because you belong to him, the power of the life-giving spirit has freed you from the power of sin that leads to death. The law of Moses was unable to save us because the weakness of our sinful nature. So God did what the law could not. He sent his own son in a body like the bodies we sinners have. And in that body, God declared an end to sin's control over us by giving his son as sacrifice for our sins. He did this so that the just requirement of the law would be fully satisfied for us, who no longer follow our sinful nature, but instead follow the Spirit. Those who are dominated by the sinful nature think about sinful things, but those who are controlled by the Holy Spirit think about things that please the Spirit. So letting your sinful nature control your mind leads to death, but letting the Spirit control your mind leads to life and peace. For the sinful nature is always hostile to God. It never did obey God's laws, and it never will. That's why those who are still under the control of their sinful nature can never please God. But you are not controlled by your sinful nature. You are controlled by the Spirit if you have the Spirit of God living in you. And remember that those who do not have the Spirit of Christ living in them do not belong to him at all. And Christ lives within you, so even though your body will die because of sin, the Spirit gives you life, because you have been made right with God. The Spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you, and just as God raised Christ Jesus from the dead, he will give life to your mortal bodies by the same Spirit living within you. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you so much for your gospel. Lord, for what Jesus did on the cross for us, as these scriptures lay out. 
Lord, we thank you that you have taken the steps to save us because we were unable to. And Lord, as Pastor Doug comes, we ask that you would give him strength and boldness of word today. Lord, that our hearts would be able to hear him well and that we would be changed and motivated by your gospel this morning, Lord. Lord, we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Something new was already done this morning that I'm sure some of you are wondering, why did we do that? Seeing that we have, had not, we have not had a closing song at the end of the service, thought it would be nice if we get to see the cross once in a while that is before us. Romans chapter 8. How in the world do you even begin to understand, fully understand the opening statement of this great chapter? I fail in being able to comprehend all of it. I trust what we will share this morning may encourage you but I'm here to say the words of men fall short of understanding the plan of God. Romans chapter 8, according to a number of different Bible scholars, they refer to it as the crown jewel of the book of Romans. It begins with no condemnation, and it ends with no separation. And in between those two glorious statements, 19 times the Spirit of God is viewed. What makes that dynamic is that previous to chapter 8, there really, in the previous seven chapters, the Holy Spirit is faintly and I say faintly referred to in only two other places. In chapter 5 and verse 5. And then again in chapter 7. So now what we see in this particular chapter. Is the Holy Spirit's empowerment to live a life that is sanctified unto God. Previous to that. We go back as the first word begins, therefore. Well, whenever you see the word therefore, you must ask yourself the question, what is it there for? It's just not in reference to chapter 7 in which the Apostle Paul cries out, Oh, wretched man that I am, who can separate me or who can save me from this body of death? No, in reality, you've got to go all the way back to chapter 3. Where there in chapter 3, it is capsulized into a glorious statement where the Apostle Paul says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And then when you get to chapter 5, 
you recognize the battle that there is between that which is, belongs to Adam and that which belongs to Christ. Under the first man, Adam's sin entered the world and passed on through all generations. It's still active even today. But then Christ, the second man, came and gave of his life in order that we can be set free from that particular curse. But then you get to chapter 6, and the Apostle Paul begins to show who is it that you're going to obey. You can either obey the flesh or you can obey the, the spirit. And he says, and whichever one you obey, that's the slave that you will become. And then just last week, chapter 7, this great battle between the flesh and the spirit to where the Apostle Paul ends chapter 7. I believe it's a part of his testimony, but he ends chapter 7 by saying, but thanks be to God who, through our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, therefore... Therefore, there is now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Do you fully understand the impact of that statement? To understand it, I think, in its full context, we need to go to another writer of the scriptures. Go back with me. Keep your, put your notes here, if you wish, in chapter seven or chapter eight, and go back to John chapter three. The Gospel of John, chapter three. Jesus is meeting with a Pharisee by the name of Nicodemus. But when you go down to verse 18, notice what it says. He who believes in him, meaning the Son of God, is not condemned. But he who does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the Son of uh, the only begotten Son of God. And this is the condemnation that the light has come into the world, and men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. For everyone practicing evil hates the light. And does not come to the light, lest his deeds should be exposed. But he who does the truth comes to the light, that his deeds may be clearly seen, that they have been done in God. Condemnation. Condemnation is the act, if you will, of a sovereign judge who passes judgment upon an act that has been committed. The most horrendous condemnation, as we refer to in John chapter 3, is an individual that literally is condemned 
to hell because of their own desire not to believe in the truth. There would be some in our society today that would love for us just to read the first part of this verse. For there is now no condemnation. Under that, that means everybody is going to the blessed hope of heaven. But that's not what the verse says. It is therefore there is now no condemnation to them who are in Christ Jesus. There's a identification there. Condemnation, the proof of not being condemned, first rests in our, if you will, our identification. They who belong in the Lord Jesus Christ, who belong to the family of God, have been set free. There is now no condemnation. What's interesting is there are two other words in that opening statement. First of all, there says there is now. It is a time frame. It is speaking to a particular situation that is even prevalent today. Now. There is now no condemnation. We've been set free. But the other part is just as powerful. The word no. Now. No. In other words, God is not going to change his mind. He doesn't have a holy stick waiting to hit you on the head. There is no condemnation from God. He refuses to bring it up even to the halls of heaven For there is now no condemnation. If we could place ourselves into a courtroom of God. We would find out that judgment has been passed. And Jesus Christ has taken our place and has paid our price In order to satisfy the righteousness of God. Therefore the gavel drops. Not guilty. No condemnation. Not even to be brought up again. The slate has been wiped clean. And we've been set free. Now. Some of you here. Tell me the full extent of that. I can't comprehend it. Maybe it's because we see ourselves. Maybe because we know ourselves. Oh, we try to hide things, believe me. But how can we come to the grips of when presently there is no condemnation, God has declared us free in Jesus Christ. No wonder the Apostle Paul can say, thanks be to God through our Lord Jesus Christ amazing 
But it doesn't stop there. Because there is an initiation. Notice, if you will, for it says, oh, by the way, if you have, like, like I have, I have, there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. That phrase should be down in verse 4. We'll get to that. Some of you have translations that have a little footnote that says that doesn't appear in the early manuscripts. That only came later. So we can move that down. You haven't adulterated the scripture. It's okay. But notice in verse 2. The law of the spirit of life in Christ has made me free from the law of sin and Death. Hallelujah. Now, the word law there is not referring to the Mosaic law in either one of those situations. It's in reference to who's in control. It's the authority. Who has authority over our life? For it says in verse 2, for the authority of the spirit of life in Jesus Christ has made me free from the authority of sin and death. It puts a whole new genre on this particular verse to realize that I no longer have to be under the authority of sin and death. Sin and death have no more dominion over me and over you. Why? Because the authority of the Holy Spirit. Now all of you ask yourself the question, when does that transition when, do, when does that come about? When does that initiation come about? I'm glad you asked. Now we need to turn to Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 13 and 14. The question is, when... Does a believer person, when does an individual who's born again, follower of Jesus Christ, when does the Holy Spirit come and take residence? Notice in verse 13. In him, meaning in Jesus Christ, you also trusted after you heard the word of truth the gospel of your salvation in whom also, having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of his glory. When do you get Holy Spirit? The moment you trust the gospel. And he is there as God's guarantee that will never run out. I get so frustrated when you, 
when you purchase something, it comes with a guarantee. Why is it that they only guarantee cars up to 36,000 miles or three years? I guess because they're handmade or man-made. But God doesn't have an ending of this guarantee. It culminates when the prized possession is called home. And you are the prized possession of Jesus Christ. You are his child. And the Holy Spirit comes at the moment an individual believes in the gospel. That individual was saved according to the gospel. And they get this wonderful triune part of God called Holy Spirit. Now there's something that Paul says you should not do. In Ephesians chapter 5. When he says... I'm sorry, Hebrews, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 30. Don't grieve him. Don't grieve him. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. That, dear people, is part of the battle. But the identification or the initiation that we have is made by the Holy Spirit who lives and reigns within us. I'm only going to cover the first four verses because there is so much after this. I will give you this little tempting, like casting, if you will, a fly out to catch a trout. It's this. That in order to successfully live a sanctified life in Jesus Christ, you must rely on the Holy Spirit and not yourself. The introduction of it is here. The Apostle Paul says, who can separate me? Who can save me from this body of death? The answer, the gospel, and the Holy Spirit. What's amazing about these first four verses, you see the interaction going on between Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Verse 1, there's now no condemnation to them who are in Christ Jesus. Verse 2, we see the, the law of the Holy Spirit, the, if you will, the, the, the magnificence of the Holy Spirit in controlling us, the authority over us. And then we get to verse 3, the intervention. Notice it says, For what the law could not do and that it was weak through the flesh, God did by sending his son, his own son, in the likeness of sinful flesh, on account of sin, he condemned sin in the flesh. The intervention. Someone wrote an interesting statement when they said, divine aid is needed. 
to meet the divine requirement. Divine aid is needed to meet the divine requirement. We've already stated that the law, the law of Moses, in and of itself is good. It is holy. It is just. But what it could not do, it wasn't because of the law's problem. It was because of the sinful flesh of mankind. The law made a command and demanded an, an action. The flesh could not do it. And because of that, God did. Oh, you could just camp on that for about an hour. What is it that God does? That God so loved the world that he gave. God did not send in his son into the world to condemn the world, but that through him, the world might be saved. In due time, God sent forth his son, born of a virgin, born under the law to redeem those under the law that we might receive the adoption of sons. God did what man could never do. He sent forth his own son. What's interesting is though it does not highlight the fact of the eternality of Jesus Christ in this verse, but you can go to John chapter 1 and verse 1 and say, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. God sent forth Jesus. But notice, he sent him forth in, if you will, as it says in this verse, in the likeness of sin, of sinful flesh. That delineates Jesus Christ from a sinful nature. He came and he took on the form of man. Philippians chapter 2 reminds us that though he did not consider himself, yet he came and he took on the form of man. This is a particular slam against those at this particular time that would have viewed Jesus as being nothing more than an apparition, just some kind of spirit, just some kind of feeling. No. God sent him forth in likeness of sinful flesh. Doesn't say of. He didn't send Jesus Christ of sinful flesh or with sinful flesh. No, likeness. The book of Hebrews contains verse after verse which highlights the fact that Jesus Christ came and dwelt amongst men. I love chapter 2 where it says he came and he dwelt among us and, and he took on flesh so that he can 
free those who are in fear of death and literally take the keys from Satan himself. He walked among us. He thirsted. I believe there were times when he was discouraged. He said to his disciples, oh, you of little faith. How long have I been with you? I'm sure there's times when he felt alone. And Jesus said to his disciples, all of you are going to leave me when I go to the cross. And Peter stepped forward and said, I'll never leave you. I'll give my life for you. No, Peter, you're going to deny me three times before the rooster crows. So lonely he was that even on the cross he cried, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? But yet, without sin. 2 Corinthians 5.21 He who knew no sin became sin for us that we might receive the adoption of God. What man could not do, God intervened and sent forth his son to die. But the best part is he didn't stay in the grave. I've done some studies on other religions and what they view as their only hope of life after death. You can go over to the Middle East, and there you will find the tomb of Muhammad. And his bones are still in there. You can go to the Far East and find the tomb of Buddha. And his bones are still there. You can try to trace down Joseph Smith in the United States. He's somewhere in Missouri, buried. And his bones are still there. Name anyone of a spiritual realm that thought that they had the answers and their bones are still there. But dear people, we have a savior who's risen. God intervened. No condemnation because of our identification in Christ, our initiation by the Holy Spirit, and the intervention of God the Father. And lastly, in verse 4, proof of interpretation. It says in verse 4, that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. And that's why I have to stop at verse 4. Because verse 5 begins to develop what are you talking about walking in the spirit? 
How in the world do we do that? Well, in Galatians chapter 5, there's a heading that says, Walk in the Spirit. Which it says that you are to mind the things of the Spirit and not the things of the flesh. And then it lists the fruit of that. Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, meekness. Of these, there is no law comes from the spirit there are times that we all struggle wondering how do we get through this life that we walk how can we remain faithful to Jesus Christ how is it that we can live successfully in the realm of sanctification, how can we honor God? That's all by the Spirit. We will get into that in this next week, Lord willing. As we gather next week, we'll go from verse 5 to verse 11. As we know and understand what it means to walk in the spirit. I feel like today I should have a pay cut because I got 10 more minutes. I can pray for 10 minutes. Let's pray, but it won't be for 10 minutes. God, our Father, We began in Romans chapter 8 looking at a mountain. A mountain that, quite frankly, I can't fully understand. But the difference is, is that we're not at the bottom of the mountain looking up. We're at the top of the mountain looking down. Because there is now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. How glorious that is. By our identification, by our inspiration, by God's working in our midst, and then finally, by walking. Proof. Even though we don't fully understand the implication of no condemnation, oh Lord, that gives us hope that day by day we can rise victorious and living a life that pleases you. I pray, oh God. That throughout the rest of this week, that you, by your Spirit, would reveal to us the truth 
of these scriptures this morning. May there be an empowering as we read these words again. That we do not have to succumb to the things of the world, the flesh. For we've been set free. Not in and ourselves. Because God, you intervened. And sent forth your own son. Who took on the form of flesh. Yet without sin. Willingly gave his life as a payment in my place that we may have eternal life. It is that we praise you. And may it be our heart's desire, O Lord God, throughout this week that we would desire to live for you, not because we have to, but because we want to. To please you and to be a witness for you. Guide us, O Lord God, in that desire. And I'll praise you and thank you in your name. Amen.